Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligent Living. Thanks for joining the podcast, where we have discussions about all things relating to life. You know, through science, we've learned so much about life and how to live it well, so why is it that we tend to live so foolish? Well, it's time to use that science so that we can live life with some intelligence. We can live longer, happier, more purposeful and productive lives for ourselves and for others. And this is called Intelligent Living. So here we're going to learn, laugh, live, last, and love. Thanks for joining the conversation. night about three o'clock two o'clock three o'clock in the morning i don't know what it was but i woke up i could not sleep i woke up and your face came before me and god gave me just a few words for it it was very simple it was just he is pleased that was it that's on the outs all and i and i thought you know more he's pleased with what well please you know I, but i felt strongly not to say anything else and that you would understand fully what he means you would understand fully to the depth of your core of your own soul. You'd understand that bears witness with me. He said he is pleased. So <clears throat> let's watch our video this morning for a couple minutes on the 4th of July. Hallelujah. Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war, but there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement, and this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement, and it gives no choice between peace and war only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When the key to Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War, and someday, when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary, because by that time, we will have been weakened from within spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price, or better rev than death, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war, because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shotters around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? It's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material complications. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. 
said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Praise God. Let me just say this, you know, <clears throat> July 4th, obviously, that's when a nation was born. And those watching, it's, it's not my sermon, but this is the greatest nation in the world. And there's no nation like America. And you and I are here this morning because people died to put us here. Literally, put, they shed their blood to, to make us be able to have peace, be able to come and assemble together to have church. All of our missionaries got thrown out. I had to leave China because of there, all these crackdowns are coming down, plus COVID. So many things have gone on. And you and I are here, and, and I would say this. You know, there's a lot of people that say, I don't like our nation. You know, if you don't like our nation, just leave. Especially some of these movie stars. Oh, I'm going to leave if so-and-so becomes president or this happens. Leave now. We don't want you here anyway. You don't, you don't want to be here? Leave. Go to Africa and tell me how much. Go to Africa, spend three. Like Alvin used to say, some of these folks, I just need to drop them in Sierra Leone for a month and see what they think then. All we know here is order. You've never been, not all of you. I know some of you have been in some very difficult places. But you, all you know, generally speaking, is order, law, and order. I lived in Ghana just for a short amount of time, a year. I went to Sierra Leone for a little bit. I went to Nigeria. It was insanity. 35 years ago, it was insane. And all you'd want then, when I was there, you wanted one day of normal. That's it. You and I have normal every day, and I don't think the end of today or last night you said, God, I thank you for the normal. We took it for granted, went to sleep. Thought we'd wake up, believe God would give us another breath to breathe. Without even thinking, not even thinking twice about it. We were in Ghana, we'd be driving down the street. And Ghana was a lot better than Nigeria, but Ghana, you drive down the street, and at night, sometimes they pull you over. But beginning days, uh, it was kind of crazy. We didn't know what it was like. They, at night, they tried to rob you. It wasn't real, real bad robbery, but I know robbery's bad, but it wasn't that bad. They weren't going to kill you, but they might rob you. But in Nigeria, there's no question of whether or not they would rob you. And one particular time, I was on a trip in Nigeria. We were driving, which I said I'd never do that again. We drove to northern Nigeria. This is only to go and just checking out the land, spying out the land. And I was driving, and this is, remember, this is like 35 years ago. Nigeria today is still crazy, let alone 35 years ago. And we're driving down the road, and I didn't know anyone. We were going to one of the guys that was helping me, who I didn't know from Adam. It was all just trusting and believing this would be okay. We're driving through the road to the jungles. You're talking to the jungles. This is some people can jump out. They may, there might be real police officers. It might be fake police officers. They may murder you and take everything you have. That'd be a good time to go home. And I was like, what? And he told me all this. Well, I said, let's go. Let's do it. 
So for like eight, six or seven hours, I'm driving to northern Nigeria. When you're driving, you're watching the road, all your heart's going. You wonder who's going to come out. And sure enough, there's a road stop. You're thinking, what's going to happen? I take my passport, shoot me, take my money. And you're like, but it's exciting. No, I, I got to be honest. It was exciting. I'm crazy, but it's exciting. I said, bring it. That was 35 years ago. I got a brain now. I ain't doing it. <laughs> when we got to northern Nigeria, I said to the guy, uh, we're not driving back. Never again. I said, that was, that was the most terrifying six hours probably of my life. or some of the most terrifying. We're not driving. I'm taking, a, I'm taking a plane back to Nigeria, to Lagos. I said, that ain't happening again. No way in the world. In the place we were going to compound, we thought we were going to live in, that it just had a shootout. And the, all they're showing me all the, all the walls around the compound, all, and even the houses were all these bullet holes. See, all that is, yes, that's where all the bullet holes, the gangs came in, just shot up everyone, and some people died. And the people here, they, they took a stand, they fought back, and things were okay. That was the most safe compound to live in. That's where I was going to live. That was the safe one. I said, you know what, we're going back. I'm taking a plane. And when I take a Niger you don't ever fly on Nigerian air. They put animals on the plane with you. You think I'm kidding? Uh, Nigerian air, I don't even know the thing get off the ground. You're, I, I wonder, are these pilots trained? or um, They were professionally trained, but man, you talk about insanity. You and I take for normal I mean, they, they're, uh, well, I'm getting this plane. People are coming and cramming the plane. There is no regulation of how many people. There are people in the, in the hall, in the, in the uh, aisle. People are coming in with their goats, their chickens, honestly, a baby goat. Right there, some were coming in with goat, not in a cage, holding the goat. I understand taking a child with you, but taking your goat? It's crazy. I think, what in the world? It, welcome to Nigerian air. Oh, my, I thought, is this thing even going to get off the ground? And then you're flying, sometimes flying into Ghana. They pull me out of the line. Because I don't know if you know it, I'm white. <laughs> Why did they pull me out of all the people there? Because I'm probably one of the few white people in line. And they pulled me out of line, almost two or three times, pulled me out of line. One time they pulled me out of the line in Ghana. I started getting a little bit used to it, and I'm kind of out there. I know that. But Jesus has helped me since then, okay? So they pull me out of the line, and they, they put you in a room, and all they're trying to do is scare the tar out of you. It works. I was actually scared. But by then, I got kind of used to their little games they were playing, and all they want is be paid off or given some money to let you go. But when you're new, you don't, know, you don't know the game yet. You don't know the rules of the game. I can play the game. Just tell me the rules. But Nigerian countries like that, they change the rules every day. So they put me in the room one time, put me in this room. Now remember, it's late at night one particular time. By the time I'm sitting in this room by myself, they're just trying to put fear in you. It worked, trust me. It's what they want to talk to you. In Nigeria, they said, we think you're a government official. We think you're trying to spy on the country. America's trying to spy on us. We think we're trying to do this. And trust me, we're not trying to spy on you guys. I said, no, there's nothing, you know, anyway. <clears throat> If you're, if, you're, if you're watching me from Nigeria, I mean, bless you. We love the churches there. I'm, I'm saying generally speaking. I love Nigeria and love them all. But so here in Ghana in this little room, I sat there literally for hours until the entire airport was emptied. 
And all they're trying to do is scare the tar out of me and get as much money as they could out of me. And so they come in, I'm thinking, I know what they're doing. Here they are, here they are, doing their little thing again. Now, what would you do sitting in a room in a foreign country by yourself? It's midnight, and all the people around you are just soldiers. I tell you, your mind, my, my mind's pretty creative. My mind comes to all kinds of stuff. At one particular time, I think my craziness saved me. I'm just sitting there. This some sergeant, or I don't know who he was. Just he's Goni, Goni. I mean Goni, uh, Barney Five, Barney Five, Gomer Pyle. Gomer, what's up, Gomer? And so the guy comes in. He's a general. I don't know who he was. A sergeant sits down. And the soldiers are there. They're looking at you. And I'm thinking, you're retarded. Anyway, I didn't tell him that. I never told him that. I just looked at him. Just. Uh-huh. <clears throat> He says, what are you doing here? <clears throat> they can't understand English when you talk fast. I said, well, you know what? You know, I really like, personally, me, you ask me, you ask me that question, I like Cocoa Puffs myself. I like Cocoa Krispies myself. I, that's my favorite cereal. It always has been. I like the chocolate in the Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> the guy looks at me. No one knew what I said. I knew no one knew what I said. And I told him, I really like you. Here's five bucks. They let me go. So that has nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> but the point being, when we come back to America, you don't realize what normal is. Most of you are not going to go to Ontario Airport, be pulled out, fly and say, pulled out, put in a room, left by yourself, given no rights, not told you what's going to happen to you, you have no idea who's coming to see you, enough, yet you know nothing. That don't happen to you. I mean, in America, we complain if someone calls us a name. Even our own name. I'm offended. You call me a white guy. Well, I am a white guy, but how can that offend me? How can I be offended by you calling me a white guy? Today, that even happens. Everyone's woke. It's a joke. I'm going to get a t-shirt made. Woke joke. I'll probably get shot if I wore it. All right, let's get serious. Not yet. It's July 4th, right? I met a few people. <clears throat> I met a banker. The banker was probably the best. I said, July 4th, what day is it on? And she said, well, it's July 4th on Sunday. I said, I know, but it's July 4th. She said, yes, yes, it is. I said, well, is it on the 1st or is it on the 5th? She goes, I don't, I don't understand, sir. I said, July 4th. We know it's the Sunday, the 4th, right? Okay, that's the 4th. But is it on the 1st or is it on the 5th? She's a banker at a big bank. And she's there contemplating, has no idea what to say. It looked like she saw, uh, I don't know, she was like, Trying to find answers. I said, uh, I'm only joking. She laughed so hard, she had to bring out a little, a little fan to cool, cool herself down. She's an Hispanic girl. She got so red. You could, I said, you're red. She goes, I know. She beat red. An Hispanic girl beat red. She was, you know, I ought to tell you, but she thought of it. She laughed so hard, got out her little fan. She goes, oh, my God, I don't know what you're saying. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I was thinking, I can't figure this out. I can't figure this out. What am I supposed to tell them? She said, that was a good one. 
I told a waiter the same thing, but I feel sorry for these young guys. He said, you know, I, that I don't know. I said, so I need to know the question. I said the same thing to this one waiter. And he said, I, I don't know, which, he said, that's a good one. I don't know that one. I was going to ask him, can you go ask management? But I don't want to see him get fired. <laughs> Single de Mayo comes around. I ask other people, Hispanic friends of mine, what day does Cinco de Mayo fall on? Is it the 10th or the 1st? And people will tell you, well, people told me, I don't know. That's the world we live in. But anyway, okay, now let's get serious. Kind of. This one's simply called answers that make no sense. Often in life, we need answers from God. But we can miss God because his answers make no sense. A story of a man tells his wife had suffered, I guess, from migraine headaches. And if you ever had one, you know what it's like to have one. It's, yeah, it's almost like your life has to stop for a little bit. She took her medication, but nothing was working. She's laying down. Her four-year-old daughter comes in. And she's very concerned about her mom's health. And she said, Mom, would you mind if I, if I pray for you? And Mom said, no, pray for me, Leah. So she put her hand on her mother's head, and she prayed, Lord, I thank you for this food. It's the only prayer she knew. <laughs> and I, I i thought of it this way sometimes you know we we pray the prayer we're the, only, the only prayer we know we pray and nothing happens it's like okay i prayed the prayer i, I prayed what i thought i was supposed to pray but there are no answers coming what else can i say have you ever said to god what else am i supposed to pray how else am i supposed to pray what else am i supposed to say And our story is the one we've been on for a few weeks. We'll be on for maybe for a couple more weeks. But it's a story about the woman who lost her husband. And they come to take her sons to be slaves. And they come to Elisha. Elisha's going to give her some instruction. But it has so much in for us. When I preach my style, the way I preach is I make everything for myself very practical. I don't, I'm not one of these real deep preachers. But I just, I read something I always ask myself, what does this mean? How does this apply to me? And how would that apply to people? When I look it through the lens like that, I see so much. I read a, I read a verse. I read a, one sentence, and I see, I see so many openings. I see openings, so many moments of inspiration. Go this way. And go, so many. And I'll tell you what's crazy. Marty, I, share, I can share something with Marty. I, can, I, say, I saw this. I just share it to Marty. Marty, I'm preaching that. And he can write us a whole sermon just from one thought. I said, Mark, it's not fair. You and Alvin, you guys, they all do it. Stacy didn't preach it like that. So it's not fair. When I write something, it takes me forever. Ever and ever and ever. And I go over it and I go over it and I go over it. There's been a Thursday night service, not that you're asking, but there's one Thursday night service. I think I put like 25 hours into a 30-minute message. You know what I said to myself? Never again. Only a handful of people were here. It's like preparing to build me a big meal and no one shows up. Feel sorry for the preacher. Go ahead. <laughs> By the way, Sinel's having a fellowship at his house. We can go at 5 o'clock and eat from 5 to 6. We're going to watch the service. You can stay a little bit after to eat. So if you're going to go, please let him know and bring some food, please. Whatever he asks you to bring, bring. If you're not, stay home. Enjoy the service. Have a great time. Try to be with us for the prayer and fasting. I'll say again about that in, in, at the end, but uh, 
So there we go. <clears throat> so here it is. <clears throat> Let me just get right into this. Let's go to point one. A lot of people today want spirituality on their own terms. The Bible says, these people worship me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And they worship me based on rules made by humans. Today, this is an important point because, you know, exactly what it says here, people worship God with their mouths and they honor God with their lips but their hearts are far from God. In other words, people today, they want spirituality without being spiritual. They really do. They desire to be in contact with God. Or I should say it this way. They desire to be in contact with a God. They want to be in contact with the God, but not the, not the God of the Bible, not the God, Lord God Almighty, not that Lord. I, I want to be in contact with a higher power. That, that's kind of where they're at. They said one was an article I was reading. It said there's a spiritual awakening happening across America. Some people are returning back to churches. Most churches are on the decline. Most people, generally speaking, are leaving churches. But they're still seeking spiritual awakening. They know they desire a spiritual dimension to their lives. And that spiritual dimension to most people can almost be anything. If you talk to people today or listen to any podcast... I'm getting ahead of myself it's okay if you listen to any podcast it's it's almost popular it's in vogue if you're spiritual if you got a higher power you talk to that's cool i do too you do too a higher power you call it what you want let's say you can call it what you want i'm no, no one to judge your god is your god my god's my god that's all cool let me can i correct something here it, no it doesn't matter who it is there aren't a bunch of god there's one god and there's only one name you can be saved by and that's by jesus christ He's the only name. He's the only, the only way you're going to get to heaven. The Bible says there's one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life to the Father, and no one comes to the Father but by him. So I, I just get so not tired of hearing people talk about spiritual and these podcasts, and yeah, you got your higher power. It's very important to have your higher power. Your higher power, no, 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 listen, you better know the higher power, and you need to know the higher power. It's God. Because when you die without Christ, you're going to realize you are wrong. No, it does matter. It's not a God. It's the God we got to know. They say, oh, you Christians are so, so narrow-minded. When you get to heaven, tell that to Jesus. Well, you're not going to get there, I guess. He said, it doesn't matter. And people just so, if I can use the term... I have to. You understand what I mean. It's somewhat a contradiction of terms. Religious Christians. You know, hey, man, I had a call. I won't say where, for who, for I got it. I got a call and say, hey, man, how you doing? Uh, the person says, yeah, I'm doing great, man. I got engaged and doing good, man. And I got engaged with my girlfriend. And, and uh, that's a, today that's a good thing. At least it's a girl. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I can get my girlfriend. We went away for a while, spent some time together. And I'm listening to them, and, you know, they're together. You know what I mean? They're together, together. They're just engaged. They're not married. And later on, I talked to someone else, and they said, yeah, well, I talked to that person. I said, you know, whatever you do, don't leave God out of your life. Oh, yeah, no, I'm there with God. Oh, all the way, man. Oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah, I never, man. Read the word all the time. That's what I'm talking about. 
If you're saved and you love Jesus Christ, you don't sleep with your girlfriend. I know you sleep in another room. You maybe do for about most of the night, but maybe one hour. And then one hour, you just happen to go to the room that she happened to be in. Divine appointment. And then I know you're a Christian. You do lay laying on of hands at that moment. Yeah, yeah, we know all about it. Listen, you do that, and the Bible is very clear. You're going straight to hell. I know that's not popular, but it's real. But no, it's like today, it's like you can't say anything about nobody. And everyone's right. No, not everyone's right. No way in the world. At least if you're going to try to be a Christian, I ain't perfect. We aren't perfect. But at least if you meet Jesus Christ, you're getting a sincere desire to serve God and please God. And you're going to live a changed life. Why? Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Yeah, we make mistakes. Yeah, we sin and we confess. We get right with God and we keep trying to serve God the best we can. But this generation, they want God. They want a God. They want everything that comes with God. They just don't want that God ruling and reigning over their life and calling them into holiness. I have a very simple message this morning. Kind of a low-key one. Listen to this one. 205. A guy named John Braddock went to the doctor. He had some, some, some problems, troubling symptoms. Went to the doctor and found out they had terminal pancreatic cancer. He's given one year to live. When he heard the news, he decided it was time to finally live life. He's going to die. He says, you know, I need to live life. He quit his job, sold his home, sold his car, got rid of most of his expensive clothing, Started spending some of his life savings. He traveled the world, ate nice restaurants. He kind of splurged on different things. About a year later, he went back to the hospital where they told me he was supposed to die. He went back to them and asked them, why? How, how come I'm doing so well? And it turned out that he didn't have cancer at all. They said, well, sorry, we misdiagnosed you. But because he took off, they, he didn't know that. It was merely an inflammation of, of the pancreas. He was not dying. He was going to live. Let me stop there for a moment. How would you respond if you thought you were going to die of cancer and you just found out you're going to live? Wouldn't you be happy? Wouldn't the tears start flowing? You'd be like your wife, your kids, if you had a wife and kids. and Yeah, I'm not going to die. That's huge. That's, uh, you know, you would think, you know what happened to him? This guy, listen, listen to this. What does he do? Well, by the way, well, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We thought we were going to die. He saved us. Right? We, we're, we were going to die. It's over. The diagnosis was you're going to die in your sins. Jesus comes along and he saves us. He gives us life. So what does he do? Instead of being thankful, and I understand all that would happen. I get that part. But instead of being thankful, he decided to sue the hospital. I get it a little bit. But let me go to a few thoughts here. I thought, first of all, what... 
is holding you back from living your life to the fullest. He didn't begin to live life until he thought he was going to die. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10. Or another version says, I've come to give you an abundant life. And spiritual religious people or people today, they want spirituality without being spiritual. They want the abundant life. They want all that God has offered them, but they don't want anything that goes with it. And this is why people are so miserable. Religious Christians. There's a reason why they are so, so carnal. Because they know what they want, they don't have it, and they don't understand why they don't have it. Well, there's something involved. It's called, self, it's called self-sacrifice. It's called denying yourself. It's called dying to self. But that whole area, that they just kind of leave out. One man said like this. See, in every person, there's a void in their lives that cannot be filled but by God. This God-shaped hole is simply an innate longing for the heart for something outside of itself that is transcendent, something other, something greater. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it refers to an eternity in man's heart. God has made us for an eternal purpose, and only God can fulfill that deep-rooted desire for eternity, not just for eternal purpose, for eternal purposes. And when you and I meet God, God has a plan and a purpose for our life, absolutely, but what's happening today, people, they know the promise. I'm supposed to have this abundant life. I have a bum life. I'm not happy. I'm dissatisfied. So that's why they go to clubs. I know they're Christian clubs. Yeah, right. Here's the connection that they will not make, and I'll get to it in a moment. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple, he must, not might, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. The key to life, the key to abundant life is actually death. Death by the way of self-denial, death by the way of self-sacrifice. But that's what people don't want. I want spiritual life, but I don't want self-denial. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want any kind of self-sacrifice. No way in the world. That's our culture today. It's very popular to be spiritual. It's accepted. It's, it's almost, you know, no one's going to say something to you if you say, you know, I'm spiritual. I talk to a higher power. They say, me too. Or they say, me too, bro. Good, man. Good on you. You made a higher power? Me too. Mine's a little higher than yours, though. <laughs> yeah, just so crazy. One man said, we have grasped the mystery of an Adam, but we have rejected the Sermon on the Mount. We have received brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. And they say, this is a problem. This is what pe people want. I want all the good stuff that comes to Christianity. I want the love and the peace and the comfort, and I want all of that. I want all of that. I don't want the self-denial. I don't want the self-sacrifice. And the most of all, they don't want the church. They want God, and they want all that God offers. They just don't want to be around God or God's people. And if they do come around, they come around because they want something. 
I'm going to say it. <clears throat> Marty told me last year we were talking. He says, Karen, you come to my church. You're going to hear some people say, make it plain, make it plain. Say it, say it, preacher, say it. So here I am. Make it plain, preacher. I am. When you haven't seen some Christians, maybe, maybe they came here for a while, they got saved and left, backslid, and they show up out of nowhere, and they start passing out flyers for a baby shower or a big something they want, they're just using you. You know what people do? People think Christians are stupid. I haven't seen you for five years. Oh, yeah, come to my baby shower. We're so close. We're so close. I haven't seen you for five years. Baby shower for who? Oh, I forgot to tell you, I had a child. <laughs> you know, it just like people use the church. And they think Christians are stupid. You know, I don't ever say anything, but sometimes I want to take some of those things and make an airplane out of them, fly them. Or I want to look at them and say, you know what you are? You ghetto Christian. Where have you been the last five years? You haven't been fighting the battle with us. You haven't been fighting with us, trying to nail it, trying to pay rent, pay bills, trying to make this thing work. Where have you been the last five years? That's going to show up and, ah, praise the Lord. Pass out all these flyers. I've got a baby shower or i got a party. I want you to be a part of it. I've always loved you. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah, I'm so close to you. We haven't talked in 10 years. But we're so close. We're like close, you know. You, you, people do stuff like that. You think, First thing I ask, where have you been going the last five years? Your thinking is so whacked out. And you think people are that dumb? And they actually do. You know why? Because we don't say nothing. And I have to admit, as a Christian, we are called to be used. <laughs> I've had people call us, ask me to do things with our church I haven't seen in years. I've said yes. I said, yes, if I can help you, we can help you, we will. Even though they've broken their promise a bunch of times and didn't do nothing they said they'd do, but it doesn't matter, we're here to serve them. But that's our choice, right? And so they don't want community. They, I want this abundant life without dying to self, self-denial, self-sacrifice. So how can that happen? You get self-denial, self-sacrifice, I tell you, by simply by being a part of God's church. Because God's church would change you for good or for bad, but we're all in a work in progress, amen? So I love God, I just don't, I've heard this so many times, I love God, I just don't want to, I just don't like the church. Well, Christ died for the church. You are part of the church. We come together, we're the, you know, you and I come together, we're the church, and there's a place where you and I ought to be in a place where we care about other people, we're committed to other believers, where we're submitted to other believers, we're responsible to other believers, we're accountable to other believers. People don't want that. Give me the abundant life, just give me all that good stuff, you know, the peace, the love, and just love me, and me be committed to you. No way, I'm free, I'm free. I'm free, free at last. You're free to be bound. Read your book. Uh, you mean I can't just do anything I want to do? No. Everything I do, everything you do, we affect one another. 
Romans says, Paul's talking about people that are offended by someone eat food that's been offered to idols, brand new converts, and I shouldn't eat food, and they're troubled by it. But he simply says this about the idea of stumbling or causing problems for other people. He said, instead, you should decide never to do anything that would make your brother or other Christians have doubts about their faith. He continues, don't, don't you eat if it's going to hurt another Christian. You're not, no longer living by love when you do that. Don't destroy anyone by what you eat. Christ died for that person. And so there's believers, they have no regard for what other people think. Have no regard for other Christians. Even the, the church body, that's why they don't want to be a part of a body. Oh, I love it. I heard, I heard this just yesterday. I, want to, I really want to be connected to God, but not to church. It's impossible. If you're able to go to church, you need to be submitted. The Bible's clear. You need to be submitted. You need to be committed. Not this free, loose, just I do what I want to do, I, when I want to do it. And where I, I, no, where did that come from? I, that's the day and age we live in. That's what that is. But it's not Bible. It's not how we're called to live. We're called to care about other people. We're called to be people that can be responsible. I thank God for all the men and the women that are in this church that are committed to Christ. That at my lowest moment, there are times in my life that have been very difficult. People in this church stepped up over and over and over again. And I'll never forget it. I'll be a fool to forget that. Our story is very interesting because there's a miracle that's about to take place for this woman and her family or, or her two sons. A miracle is about to take place in their lives. Think about this. July 4th is a date of dependence on God. Not independence, right? Spiritual dependence. July 4th, yeah, we became independent from sin. By the grace of God, we got delivered from sin. But it's under Christ. But this woman's about to receive a miracle. Everything God, I read the story to you. Everything God's going to do in this woman's life, the blessing, the help, the encouragement, the direction, all of that's going to take place involves other people. God, it just didn't happen. And she says by herself, God, where are you? And all of a sudden, all these vessels, all this oil came down filled with all these buckets. No, what happened was she had, number one, she had to go to Elisha. She, she had to go to someone else. And I, I have a need. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. We all need, there's moments in our life, all of us, sometimes we feel ashamed to ask, I need help, I need prayer, I need help, I'm having a hard time. Nothing wrong with that. But she has to go to him. And then he tells her something. I want you to go to your neighbors. Why do my neighbors need to be involved in what I'm doing in my life? Because God works through people. The people around you are the ones that be involved in blessing your life. But it's the involvement of other people. And if those people do not get involved and those people aren't willing to be involved, guess what? You, we all lose. It takes you and I working together. It's the body of Christ. Elijah says, I'm not going to just do a miracle. I'm just going to pray a prayer and a miracle happen. No, there's some stuff you're going to have to do. I'll get to that in a moment. But there's something else worth noting here. When she goes to Elisha, 
She says, you know, my husband died, and the creditors have come to take my two sons. Now, Elisha says, <clears throat> I preached on it last week. What do you have? Or what, what, what do you want me to do for you? And then he tells her immediately. Let me stop there. Let me go back. It doesn't say she comes to Elijah. Elijah says, what do you want me to do for you? And Elijah says, you know what? Come back in three days. I'll pray about it. And I'll give you an answer. He immediately gives her an answer. I say, why? Because we think, well, maybe an illustration, explain it, I'll come back to it. We think the king of England. July 4th, 1776, King George III of England wrote in his diary, nothing of significance has happened today. Little did he know, because back then there was no text, no tweet, no thank God, no Facebook. Tweet, none of those things were available. Email. I told someone, even email is under, uh, being assaulted. Why? E-male. Why not e-female? Good. I never thought of that. People are just so, uh, wow. Anyway, okay, man. So here he is, the king of, king of England. He says, right since there, nothing happened today. But he had, he had no idea. Thousands of miles away, a nation, the greatest nation in the world had ever seen was about to be born. And you and I are like the same thing like that. Let me give you an example. When she comes to Elisha, we think, when I come before God, God hears my, and then God has to begin to act. Let me tell you, God's moving before we come. And I, I, I think, but that's not how we think, because we, how we think, we think that's how God thinks. In other words, we have to hear the need, then we start doing something. God says, I knew the need before you uttered it before me. So I believe Elisha, I think naturally would have been praying for her already. The man that died was in his ministry. The man that died was one of his men. I believe Elisha probably had already been talking to God about, God, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen with this woman. I'm sure because right when she comes, it wasn't like Elisha said, come back three days later. I'll fill you in. I'll tell you what you should do. Right then and there, he gives her, he gives her an answer. And you and I are like, this, like the king of England. We think nothing significant is happening today. Nothing significant is happening in my life. Nothing significant is happening in the church. Oh, God's powerfully at work in people's lives. Maybe not a nation is born, but a man of God's been born. So all kinds of things go on. You see a church someplace, maybe I have a handful of people, five people, ten people, or even our own size. If you look at it, say, ah, nothing significant is going on there. You have no idea what's being birthed in the lives of those people. Meanwhile, God's powerfully, powerfully at work inside the lives of his people. And we make the mistake sometimes with our own needs. We think nothing's really going on. Nothing's really happening. You have no idea what God is doing before you even bring the need to him. So let me get to my sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> Let me get to the second point here quickly. It's by our willingness to adapt our wills to the will of God, even when it makes no sense. 
Elisha says to her, go to your neighbors and borrow as many empty jars as you can. Elisha told her, then you and your sons go into the house, close the door, start pouring in the oil into the jars, set each one aside as it is full. I know I didn't read the main text today because I don't want to get caught with time, but there's your main text. This has to be lived out in all of our lives. Every one of us has to make a choice to obey God, whether we understand what God wants or not. Now, sometimes, every couple's done this. You've done it with your own wife, husband. Something's happened, and, and you, you, talk, you call a wife and say, honey, do this, this. And she why? Or a husband say, do this. And the wife will say, why? So I'll fill you in later. How many of you have that, said that to someone? I'll fill you in later. When I see you in person, I'll tell you what's going on. That's not what's happening here. He says, go grab the empty bed. He doesn't tell what's going to happen yet. It's one step of obedience at a time. It'd have been different. He says, you go grab your neighbor's friends, get all the empty vessels. You're going to come in. I'm going to work a powerful miracle by using the oil that you have. I'm going to multiply it. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have more than enough. He doesn't say it leaves all that out. Oh, he lays out just a little bit of revelation, just a little bit at a time. And that's how we grow, step by step. Here a little and there a little. Even though what he's saying really makes no sense whatsoever. I thought about Moses. Listen to this. Here's Moses. And I said that in the sermon title that sometimes we miss God because we miss him because we don't understand what his answers make no sense to us. I have a financial need. I need money. Get my sons. And you're telling me to go to some neighbors and ask for some empty vessels, empty pot. What? That makes no sense. I'll get to that in a moment. It makes no sense whatsoever. Put yourself in her shoes. They say, well, what did pastor say? Pastor says, go gather some empty vessels. You know what? God's irrelevant. God makes no sense. That's not practical. That's not wisdom. Like you're wiser than God. You know so much, huh? The children of Israel coming out of Egypt. I thought, I just got this. I thought, wow, that's so true. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, and when the king of Egypt let the people go, God did not take them by the road that goes up by Philistine or Felicia. All that was the shortest way. God thought, I do not want the people to change their minds, return to Egypt when they see that they're going to have to fight. Stay with me. They're coming up out of Egypt. God says, the shortest way is by the enemy. But when they see the enemy and they know they got to fight, I don't want the people to change their mind. God knows, folks. When you got to fight sometimes, you say, I'm out. I'd rather not fight. I just give in like that video. I'd rather just give in. That guy said, I'd rather be red than dead. Are you crazy? Red than dead? No, I'd rather be alive. Red ain't taking me out. Even though the, the president of China says, I will annihilate America. He's openly said that. I will annihilate America. America has no heart to fight. Make no mistake about it. We will rule the world. He has openly said this.
so God says, you know what? Coming up out of Egypt, oh, they better not go this way. They change their mind and want to go back to Egypt. Man, God knows us good, don't he? Sometimes when we see that we have to fight for something, we don't think it's worth it to fight. Oh, we've got to fight the Philistines. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Can I just have peace with the Philistines? Can I just like have a good treat and just give a kiss on the cheek? Can I tell them I love you? I love you. Instead of lasting love. Won't that melt their hearts? No, it's not melt their heart. They got to fight. Listen, everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, you have to fight for your you have to fight for your own spiritual life. You have a real enemy that wants to really take you out. The lion is a roaring lion. It's not a stuffed bear. It's not a stuffed lion. It's a real lion that wants to take you out. He's very smart. He has time. If it takes 20 years to take you out, it doesn't matter. What's time? And God says, I better not bring them this way. I, that's too hard. They might freak out. They want to go back to Egypt. He said, I'm going to make it the easiest way. The easiest way, he says, they're going to go this way. They're at the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is behind them. They're coming. God looks at it and says, that, you know what? And they're complaining, right? Well, what you bring us out here for, Egypt? Moses, what's, what's wrong with you, Pastor Moses? You made it hard on us, man. This is difficult. We should never listen to you. Should, man, we're going to go back, man. It was better back there. We had melons. We had, all, we, had, we, had, we had it going on. We had carne asada. We had everything back there. And now you're taking us out. You know, from God's view, their view was, this is the most difficult thing that ever happened. God says, you know what, you guys? I just chose the easiest way for you. Here we are, we're in a place in our life right now. It's just a sword. God goes, you know what? This is actually the easiest way. This is actually the easiest way. And you're thinking, this is so hard. This is so hard. What do you got to do? I got to come to church. So hard. This is the easiest way. This is the easiest way to do this thing. Come on now. And there they are. What they thought was the most difficult, God saw from his point of view, that's the easiest way I could take them. Because this way, they're at this place, they have no answer. That's a good place for us to be sometimes. We have no answers. The enemy's coming. Go forward, we're going to drown. The enemy's going to kill us. There's, there, are, there are no way out. It's great for us to be in that place. Unless God shows up, we're gone. And God, unless you show up and help me, it's over. That's a good place to be. And Moses cries out to God, and God says, Moses, Listen, it's going to be okay. Take your rod. Go to the Red Sea. Go like this over it. And I'm going to part it. And they're going to walk on dry ground. As bad as Elisha telling her, this woman who just lost her husband, go, go off and gather a bunch of empty vessels. The insanity of telling Moses, the leader, take your rod and do that. He's never done that before. You, you, you again, put yourself Moses. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he practiced. I mean, you think about it. This makes no sense. God, what do you take my rod? And what does that have to do with anything? How is that going to help us? Oh, yeah, you'll part the sea. Sure. I mean, come on. The instruction God gives Moses, he does not expect Moses to understand, but he does expect obedience. You're going to save yourself a lot of mental heartache. Don't try to figure God out. Just say, you know what, I, man, I don't understand that at all, how you're working at all, but 
I'll do this raw thing. Moses, like you and I, I'm sure he thought, I'm going to look like a fool in front of all the people, a million people. I'm going to stand up there and go. And they're going to say, what's wrong with you, Moses? What are you doing? Yeah, God told me to stand. Seas get ready apart. Watch this, boy. He's thinking, I hope so. I hope God comes through. I mean, it probably looks crazy, like a crazy man. What's that leader doing? Oh, he's got his rod over the ocean. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. Good one, Moses. Got another plan besides that one. He does what God asked him to do. That's all you can do. That's all I can do. And then God does what only God can do. He made a way. All of us want God to make a way. But we don't want to be brought to the place where he is the only way. These instructions to this woman, you would think, God, you're making things more difficult. Give me more mountains to climb, more valleys to go through. I don't need more obstacles. I need things to become smoother. I, I, I don't need more problems. I don't need... I don't need more of anything, God. I'm asking you to help me. My son's about to be taken. Now you're asking me to do this. That makes no sense whatsoever. You're making things a little too difficult here. You're her. What would you do? She has limited means. All she could do, I'll cover it next week. She has to make a choice about, am I going to do what I don't even begin to understand or not? Every one of us has to make a choice whether or not we're going to obey God or not. I can't obey God for you. And you can't obey God for me. Listen to this, God's way. Isaiah says, my thoughts, says the Lord, are not your thoughts. And my ways are different than your ways. Grab a bunch of empty vessels. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Cover that next week. Put the rod over the sea. What does that have to do with anything? And sometimes in our natural mind, it looks totally like God's totally irrelevant, out of touch with reality. Because we can't figure it out. Vance Havner said this. His wife was dying of cancer and he had prayed for an absolute miracle. She didn't get a miracle. He didn't get a miracle. She didn't get a miracle. She died. And he writes these words. Whoever thinks he has the ways of God conveniently tabulated, analyzed, correlated with convenient glib answers to easy in every question from aching hearts has not been far enough in the maze of mystery we call life and death. God has no stereotyped way of doing what he does. We have to accept whatever he does, however he chooses to do it. And this is something that I want to end on here is God tells her to go get what? The empty vessels. I'm going to end here. Listen to this. This is a good preach right here so you don't realize it but now you do okay good preach pastor keep trying he said you don't have enough emptiness 
for me to move yet. Sometimes in our lives, reason why God can't move anymore, we don't have enough emptiness. The thing we don't want is the thing he says you need to get more of. You're not empty yet. Not empty yet. Emptiness can speak so many things, and I'll get to it. But I, I thought when my sons moved away, Elisha moved away. As a parent, you cry and cry and cry. Things happen like Nate moved away. There's so many things you wish you can control and say, I'm going to do this, I want you to do this. But I've learned not to put my foot in and say, you know what, God, if I had my way, I'm going to move, be with my son, be with my family. That's all I'm going to do. But I knew it wouldn't be the will of God. And I thought to myself during that time, I said, God, all I have is emptiness. And now I got more emptiness. It's not what I want. But that's what it takes sometimes before God can move like he wants to move. When there is no more emptiness, that's what happened in the story. When the emptiness stopped, the miracle stopped. I don't want the miracles to stop in my life. But I guess I better provide some emptiness and not be fooled of myself. Well, I know what's going on. I, I got this insight. Would you shut up? Just shut up. Do the world a favor. Be quiet. Some people think they got all the answers. Uh, you know, I know he meant well. We've, I had a pastor preach here as a friend, nice guy. He's talking to me. He says, you know what? You just need to believe God, Carrie. You, you can get healed like that. It's your problem. You don't believe. You have unbelief. And I said, well, maybe I, I guess I do. Pray for me. Pray for me. So many people got quick answers. The things, in the, there's not an answer really for it. How does getting empty buckets make sense to a broken woman? It makes no sense. The only thing I can say to anyone is, I don't understand that. And I know you want to control things and make things easier for you. That's what we all want to do. That's what I wish I could have done a thousand times. Move away. Do this, do that. that everything within me. Just, but also we all know that there's a still small voice and there's a voice of God and there's a will of God says, you know, if you do this, you're going alone. Do what you want to do. And I could probably live the rest of my life. Phoenix, fine, be around my kids. But it wouldn't be the will of God. So I guess I have to choose the emptiness for a while. But it's in that emptiness. Listen, some of you are there right now. You, all you have is emptiness. On one hand, that's the best place to be because in emptiness, God can feel. I want you to bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. <clears throat> You're here this morning, just very quickly. Put yourself in this woman's shoes. There wouldn't be a quick answer. Some of you don't live a life in community. You don't live. You just live your life, do your little thing. Not really connected to other people. Not really submitted to anyone else but yourself. Responsible to no one. Just do what you want to do. 
I want all that God has for me. Well, God has for you the church. Some of you are speak, God speaking to you about relationships, developing new relationships with other Christians in this church. There's others here that God's speaking to about you want spirituality, but you don't want to be spiritual. You want all the benefits without the body. And yet there's others here this morning that the place you're in, God says, you know, that I chose the easy route for you. And we think, I thought this was the most difficult. God says, oh no, I'm saving you right now. And some of us, we don't even realize the grace that's on our life. God says, you know what, I've, I've given you the easy way. There's others here this morning, you're empty. But listen to me, God's a God who feels emptiness. You're here and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, first of all, if you raise your hand, say, I want to pray to receive Christ as my Savior. I want you to lift up your hand. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I believe he died for me. My life is his. Here's my hand. If you're, you're watching me, you, you say this prayer. Say, I give you my life, Jesus. I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my life. Let's all stand in the congregation. These altars are open. Find a place to pray, would you? Move out. Find a place to pray. Talk to God. Hey, folks, I really hope this episode encouraged you to live a more purposeful and intelligent life. If it did bless you, would you share with somebody who you love as well? Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.